Welcome everyone to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at the Score. Always appreciate you tuning in. On today's show, we're starting our position preview series, and I've lined up four incredibly smart analysts to help us with that. The quarterback episode is going to come out on Friday with. Mr. Late Round Quarterback himself, J.J. Zacharyson. The Wide Receiver Show is going to be next Wednesday. We got Lord Reeves, Rich Rebar, a sharp football lined up for that one. And the tight end preview will be next Friday with one of the new analysts over at Pro Football Focus, but you already know him because he's been on the show before, Andrew Erickson. He's great. And today we are kicking the series off by going over running backs with another former PFF alum, actually, and a guy that I can't believe we haven't had on the show yet. Scott Barrett of Fantasy Points, one of the best in the business. Before I get Scott in here, though, if you like what you're hearing, give us a rating, give us a review on whatever podcast platform you use, and check out some of the other great shows in the Score Podcast Network, like Expand the Zone, Pound the Rock, and many, many more. Just trust me on this one. You won't be disappointed. All right, let's get Scott in here. As I mentioned, he was at PFF for years, and then last season broke off, started his own site with a bunch of other bright minds like Graham Barfield and John Hansen and Joe Dolan. His official title over at Fantasy Points is owner and director of data analysis. He's also on Twitter at Scott Barrett DFB. This one is long overdue, but I'm happy he's on with us today. Scott, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for being here. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. Really excited. Like you said, this is a long time coming. Very excited to to be on this podcast talking running backs with you. Well, normally we start off with a little bit of news, but it's Wednesday afternoon right now when we're recording this, and it's been kind of quiet on the news front the last 24 hours. I really expected to have all these opt-out announcements this week and maybe even a bunch of injury stuff with players reporting and maybe some of the medical stuff trickling out, but it's been kind of quiet. So I would rather start off real quick here by mentioning that I've been listening to the Fantasy Points podcast. They're awesome. And you had a couple very strong episodes recently talking positional value with Adam Harstead. And I won't spoil the topics that you guys cover, but it's a two-parter. It's very high-concept stuff. You guys touch on a lot of topics, including some of the potential effects that COVID could have on the NFL season. And I thought you mentioned several that I hadn't even considered yet, so thank you for that. But I highly recommend everybody listens, not just to, to those two shows, but to all the podcasts you guys got going on over there. I know you're starting another one with uh, Grant Barfield. That's a really exciting one as well. I'm curious, though, those ones that you did with Adam, incredibly long, right? It was two episodes, almost four hours total. Was there anything in particular that stood out to you over those two episodes? I mean, other than the fact that you and Adam are both incredibly savvy fantasy football minds. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just do a little explaining uh, so, so I did write up about 4,000 words on COVID and how that, I think that impacts, you know, fantasy football, DFS and betting. Uh, you can read that over on our site. We didn't even tease it out. We didn't even promote it on social. And I, I sent it to one of my buddies who's a professional better. Who's like, this article is worth like $900. Uh, you know, I'm placing bets based on advice in this article uh, so you know, definitely check that out. And then the two-parter with, with Adam, the first one, I just kind of, I, I hate the, the running backs don't matter debate. It's just like, so, you know, argued in bad faith and unnuanced at its worst. And I just kind of wanted to, you know, take that argument apart piece by piece and then never have to address it again, because I do get <laughs> asked and it's like, not something you could just like answer in a tweet. So it, it did take a two hour podcast. And the second part was talking positional value, why I, spoiler alert, 
thinks uh, zero RB is a suboptimal draft strategy, why running back is the most important, most valuable position in fantasy, why you can afford to wait on quarterback, all that stuff. And, you know, I had Adam Harstad, who's just a literal genius. So, you know, he made me look like a dummy in comparison. But by the end of the podcast, I learned a lot. Hopefully our, our listeners learned a lot. Well, and that's a perfect segue, right? Because let's focus in on these running backs for fantasy here. And I will say, I've done a couple shows where we touched on running backs over the last couple months. We went over some of the crowded backfields with Michelle Madjuk in June. And then last week, we talked about the top handcuffs or backup running backs, however you want to look at it. But the top ones that you want to target this year, we went over those with Matthew Betts. Today, I want to give folks a more of an overview of how to approach the position. So draft strategy, players to target, who to avoid, all that kind of stuff. So let's start by, without naming names, specific players or anything like that, What's your general running back strategy in 2020 fantasy drafts? Yeah, so I, I'm either like not a great guest for this podcast or I'm the perfect guest for this. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I just have a very unique running back strategy and I've, I've always had this and it, and it served me well. Uh, just a little bit of, of, of you know, supporting pieces. Uh, I, I wrote this article, Upside is Everything or Upside Wins Championships. I followed it up with another article, Anatomy of a League Winner, where I just talk about, you know, why it's so important to to draft for upside in your drafts and 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 why, you know, it's typically a team with the one or two correct league winners that that win your league rather than a team that's like very deep with a bunch of, you know, good but not hyper elite uh, ADP beaters. Right. So having the right league winners is, is just so key. And, and league winners tend to be running backs and they tend to be highly drafted running backs. Last year, a team with Christian McCaffrey was better off than a team with Derrick Henry, Michael Thomas, and, and Chris Godwin, like in terms of win rate. And that's just ridiculous. So you were better off having the RB1 than the RB3 wide receiver one and wide receiver two. Like that's just how important these few select league winners are. And, you know, having Lamar Jackson was better than having, you know, Michael Thomas and the, the wide receiver three. So, so really that's just so key. Uh, and z- zero RB, why do I think that's a, a suboptimal strategy is because, you know, y- you're missing out on those league winners. You're, you're, people think that, okay, well, what about in an FFPC tournament where you want to go for upside you're still doing yourself a disservice because you're missing out on Dalvin Cook and, and and Christian McCaffrey, who were first round picks last year, who are absolutely smashing the best Michael Thomas teams. I, I finished 15th place in the, the Football Guys Players Championship last year, and I think that was the only team in like the top 20 that didn't have Christian McCaffrey, or it was at least like very close to it. So you you really do know, need those top guys, and then beyond that. So like really, really prioritizing guys who have that high end top three, top five upside. Uh, I'm drafting, I'm going bell cow or bust, really. Typically just, you know, I'm making a distinction uh, and, and we could talk a little bit more on this, but I, I make a distinction between a bell cow running back, a committee running back and a handcuff. And if I'm drafting a committee running back or, or I'm drafting a handcuff, it's only because I think they can become a bell cow running back and a bell cow running back you know, is a guy who is is going to rank highly in snaps, carries, targets, red zone opportunities, but also in snap percentage, carry percentage, target percentage, red zone opportunity percentage. Not a lot of competition uh, f- from the other running backs on the team. 
They're, they're game script proof. They're game script sensitive. They're, they're involved as pass catchers. Remember in PPR leagues, a target is worth 2.74 times as much as a carry. Uh, and they are also seeing carries and goal line work and, and all that. Uh, I, I can I can keep going, but I, I know this is already like a three-minute monologue. It's great. I mean, that's why you are the perfect guest for this, right? How dare you <laughs> even doubt that? And we're going to talk about some of those league winner guys at the very end. So we'll save that for a little bit later. Maybe we'll end up touching on them as we go throughout here and talk about some of the backs. But we're going to try to save that one till the end. I'm with you, though. I've talked before about how I don't normally go into drafts uh, with a set strategy. But... I've been trying to make sure that I come away with at least one running back in the first two rounds, and it often ends up being two running backs in the first three or four rounds because the drop-off, it is real in terms of that secure volume that you can get and however you want to look at it. If you want to say, you know, potential bell cows, those kind of guys are gone very quickly in fantasy drafts. And I will say in the past, I mean, RB2 is one spot where I feel like you can normally find a decent starter Later in the season, it's tough to find somebody that's going to be that that league winning guy, but you can find a decent starter there. And that might even be more true this year with the COVID stuff. Presumably, we're going to see more running backs missing time because running backs, you know, their production is so closely tied to volume. We all know that. Whereas it's a lot harder to uncover star receivers on the waiver wire. It's definitely possible, especially early in the season. But in my experience, it's a much tougher endeavor. So if I had to boil it down for me, to, to one rule or one approach, it's that I'm not leaving those first few rounds without at least one running back and probably two, and I'm right there with you. That's definitely what I do. Um, for the most part, you know, three three running backs in the first four rounds, at least at least two, can feel good about two, but it, it is about drafting the right ones. Again, like, I so with, with wide receiver, there's maybe you know, 40 guys in my player pool, maybe 30 who I'm, I'm ha- I'll be happy to draft or who are, you know, borderline targets in a certain range. But with running back, that pool for me is so narrow. It's really just like, I'm going to say like 12 or 13 guys I'm, I'm looking to draft and to be happy to draft. And then, you know, like I am comfortable really zagging from other people's zigs where Derek Henry, uh, Nick Chubb, I'm going to have basically zero exposure to. All right. Well, let's talk about some of these guys. We'll get a little more specific here. There seems to be a, a fairly consensus top five backs. I mean, you can argue it a little bit, but Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, they're in most people's top five. I don't think we need to spend too much time on those guys. They're all solid picks. What I'm curious about, though, and you just mentioned one of them, who out of that next group are you most interested in as somebody who could crack that top five or be that league winner? So, there's the late season Punisher, Derrick Henry. There's Kenyon Drake, who went off after he got traded to Arizona. Joe Mixon, who's been producing despite a pretty bad situation the last couple of years in Cincinnati. Miles Sanders, who was an RB1 in the second half of last year once he got the starting role. Or the hottest name in all of fantasy after Damian Williams opted out, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Who do you like most out of that group? Uh, yeah, so it, it that's definitely going to be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who... I, I was already drafting top 12 before Damian Williams opted out. So like I was, I was like insanely high on him in comparison to everyone else. I just didn't think that uh, Damian Williams really posed much of a threat. And just listening to uh, 
Brett Veach and Andy Reid in their post-draft press conference, it's it's clear that they envision this guy as their featured back in sort of a Jamal Charles role. Uh, Damian Williams was like the biggest afterthought of all time. Um, And he didn't really need a bell cow workload to be successful. So over the past two seasons, when playing on just 60% of the snaps, it's not a lot at all. 11 games, Damian Williams averaged 25 fantasy points per game. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is better than Damian Williams, significantly so. They they comped him to Brian Westbrook, who was the only guy keeping pace with Ladanian Tomlinson in Ladanian Tomlinson's uh, prime. And remember, Andy Reid was his head coach during that stretch. And he's going to see way more than 60% of the snaps. He's going to see way more uh, per, uh, than 60% with Damian Williams there. And now that he's not there, it's just like a full guaranteed bell cow workload from the running back guru, Andy Reid. He's had uh, his RB1 has finished top eight in fantasy points per game 75% of the time over the past 16 seasons. And, you know, he's tethered to uh, Patrick Mahomes in the league's greatest uh, passing offense. He just set the SEC record uh, for receptions by a running back. And remember, targets are with far more than carries in PPR league. So, so that is the type of touches, the type of value you want. After that, it's it's Miles Sanders uh, or Kenyon Drake. Um, they're they're pretty neck and neck for me. And then and then Joe Mixon, just because I think he has bell cow potential. I know Derrick Henry has by far the the earliest ADP of the rest of the guys. But he just makes me so nervous. And, and if you'll allow me to just like elaborate a little bit more on this, this bell cow or bust philosophy. Yeah, go for is it. That, thank you. It's, it's Derek Henry has, has what? He's never exceeded 20 receptions in a single season. He's never reached 25 targets in a single season. That just absolutely caps his upside. Best case scenario for him is exactly what we saw last year where he gets ideal game script. Tennessee you know, makes the playoffs. They, they win 10 plus games. Uh, and it's so desperate that he has that. The year before, he was actually out snapped by Deion Lewis in something like 70% of his games. And, and why was that? You know, they, they finished with a winning record, but whenever they were trailing, they took him out and they put in their, their pass catching back to, you know, help, help to, to go fast paced, to, you're going to lean more pass heavy. Um, and so that just greatly diminishes his ceiling. But it also makes him extremely game script sensitive. He's so tethered to game script. Uh, so over the past two seasons, Derrick Henry averages nine plus fantasy points per game or more uh, in victories as opposed to losses. But in losses, he's practically useless. Averages 9.9 fantasy points per game. So he's super, super game script sensitive. Really, you need you know good game script for te- for for Derrick Henry to go off. And on top of all that, you need hyper hyper efficiency. So by my metrics, weighted opportunity, which is a measurement of volume, running back volume, which is just the the appropriate calculation for the worth of a carry and the worth of a target. Uh, He had the, I think it was like the third most efficient fantasy season of the past decade by any running back. And, you know, any running back in the top 25 by differential regressed massively, massively in the following season. Did the same thing with touchdowns versus expected touchdowns. basically the same thing, just like a top three season all time. And of course, at the polar streams, we know those numbers are going to regress. So he's just like a massive, massive regression candidate. Could he finish top seven again? I mean, it's possible, but he needs perfect game script like he had last year. He needs hyper, hyper, unsustainably great efficiency like he did last year. But 
everything points to, to regression. Or he needs an uptick in targets, but I think we've seen from him it's it's unlikely he's going to see an uptick in targets. Whereas, you know, a Drake or a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire we know is going to be game script proof, game script sensitive because they get these this this work in the passing game because they're going to have a much higher snap share. So that's my reasoning, my in-depth reasoning on, on all of these guys. Yeah, I feel it's it's recency bias, I guess, but it's so strange to me that everyone points to the, the late season Derrick Henry performances and doesn't really want to talk about the early season performances the last couple of years when maybe the game scripts weren't as good for him. You know, last year in the first nine games, he only topped 90 rushing yards once. And then in the second half of the season was when he was putting up like 150 rushing yards every single week. And everybody wants to remember that and think, okay, he's going to come out and do that over a full 16 game season. We just haven't seen it. And when you're talking about range of outcomes, there are so many paths whether it's bad game scripts, whether it's the team maybe throwing a little more with, you know, A.J. Brown and Jonu Smith coming on. There's a lot of possibilities where his floor is lower than some of these other guys in that range, despite the fact that he's helped a lot of teams win fantasy titles the last two seasons. I'm there with you on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I had him as a top 15 back in my rankings before any of this news came out, and now I moved him into the top nine. I could definitely make an argument for moving him even higher there. For me, it's Drake, though, out of that group. I get the mm-hmm. risk. I get that he's never really had a bell cow workload for an entire season, even going back to college. And the sample size, it might be small from last year, just those eight games. But half a season, it's not minuscule. And during that half season in Arizona, he was on pace for over 1,600 yards from scrimmage. Those numbers over a full 16-game season, that would have made him the RB2 overall behind Christian McCaffrey. It's not that he's going to do that necessarily again, but it shows you the kind of upside that he has in that offense. It's a combination of getting away from Adam Gase, joining this offense that's been extremely favorable to running backs since Cliff Kingsbury showed up. David Johnson was a top five back over the first six games last year. Chase Edmonds went off in his lone start, and then Drake showed up and just dominated in the second half of the season. So Kingsbury gets some of the credit here. Drake's proven that he has this top five ceiling. He's just got to stay healthy. I'm willing to take him in the back half of the first round, even maybe a little bit higher, depending on the scoring format in the draft. I might take him in the middle of the first round, even though he doesn't maybe provide the the safety that some of these other backs have in that range. I just I don't think there's a bad option there other than Henry. He's the only one that I kind of shy away from at that point. And then after those guys, there's this next group of really talented backs. And I will be honest, I love them all. Josh Jacobs. I actually do like Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones. They could all be top five fantasy producers if things break right for them. They might even have top five talent, but each of them has an obstacle holding that fantasy value back. There's doubts about Jacob's role in the passing game. Chubb has to contend with Kareem Hunt stealing touches. And then Aaron Jones, there's some serious regression coming for him, not to mention the fact that they drafted A.J. Dillon in the early round. So if you're on the clock, Scott, in the second round, which is where most of these guys are still available... Who are you taking out of Jacobs, Chubb, and Jones? Obviously, we know it's not Chubb. <laughs> yeah, so you want to talk, the, who are the best pure runners in the NFL? I think it's Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones. Uh, they're just amazingly talented running backs, but but typically, you know, far more so than with wide receivers, you know, Ty- Tyreek Hill and tight ends. Uh, r- running back is entirely based, uh, uh, for fantasy points, is entirely based around volume and, and efficiency really does tend to regress to the mean. And we just saw hyper uh, efficiency from Jones and, and Derrick Henry uh, that I, I'm just not counting on for next season. Aaron Jones, 
I want really no no part of. Uh, I think he's going to be stuck in a three-way committee. Uh, that's what his coach has hyped up since the combine, and then he went out and drafted a running back on, on day two of a similar archetype to Aaron Jones. Uh, and he was due for regression anyway. His, his best games were when Jamal Williams played on three or fewer snaps. Uh, really easy strength of schedule that's far more difficult this season. Uh, and then and then we're talking about uh, Nick Chubb. I mean, again, another committee back. It's not going to be a three-way committee, but we know Kareem Hunt's going to steal all the passing down work. And remember, that is, you know, targets far more valuable than carries. So, so last season, he averaged 18.9 fantasy points per game through the first nine weeks of the season. He was a bell cow. He was smashing. Then Kareem Hunt returned from suspension. From that point on, he averaged just 13 fantasy points per game. Kareem Hunt actually outscored Chubb in six of those eight games. It just like absolutely destroys his upside. I mean, could he succeed? Sure. I I, I believe in the offense. I think they could be, you know, a a hyper efficient, um, uh, offense that relies heavily on the ground game. Uh, I think the offense as a whole is going to improve, so there should be more uh, near goal line work. But, I mean, talking upside, I just don't see it. And, and again, very, very game script sensitive. Uh, losing that passing down work destroys him. Josh Jacobs, I think, by the way, just put together one of the most efficient seasons of the past decade, top three in PFF elusive rating, top three in missed tackles force per touch. He did that uh, playing with a bum shoulder for over half the season. This is another guy who was a committee back last year. Jalen Richard was getting all of the passing down work. They just drafted, they they re-signed him. They drafted Lynn Bowden as apparently their, their scat back. But at the same time, they've been hyping him up nonstop in the passing game saying, oh, no, no, he's going to see a massive uptick in receptions. John Gruden said it. Mike Mayock has said it. So it's hard to square that with, um, you know, the, the the various moves they've made. But, I mean, it's not baked into his ADP. The, the other two guys are, are workhorse backs being drafted as bell cows. Jacobs is, is being drafted as a workhorse back with, like, zero bell cow upside. When when I think, you know, it's probably a, a 60 to 70% chance he's a, he's he, – he has the same role he had last year, but you know, 30 to 40% chance it's much better with, with a, a big uptick in the passing game. So I, I'd, I'd probably like him the most. That, that would be my choice too. I'm glad to hear you say that. I don't understand how a rookie comes out and performs the way he did and how fantasy owners aren't just falling all over themselves to draft him. Like the narrative, and you talked about it there, the narrative that he isn't going to be used in the passing game because of those moves that they made it's just so surprising to me because we've heard them talk about wanting to use him. Is it not possible that they're resigning Jalen Richard and they're bringing in Lynn Bowden just as safety nets? What if Jacobs can't improve in that area, right? What if it doesn't happen? Because you have his offensive coordinator, Greg Olson, recently come out and say that the homework assignment for Jacobs this offseason was to improve his understanding of the route tree and to work on his pass protection. So they want him more involved in that area. That's on top of what Gruden said and what Mayock said. You've heard it from basically everybody in that organization, and yet fantasy owners are kind of just looking and going, well, they re-signed Richard and they drafted Bowden, so that's it for him. He's only going to be you know, limited to 15, 20 catches kind of in that Derrick Henry role. I just think it's strange, and I think when you look at him last year from what he did production-wise through those first 13 weeks, you know, 
before he missed any time, he was averaging the 14th most fantasy points per game in PPR leagues. And that's, you know, even with pretty limited receiving work there, he was averaging just two targets a game at that point with the bum shoulder part of the season, like you talked about there. So it's very surprising to me that people aren't just going crazy for him this year. I'm willing to bet on a 22 year old back with first round draft capital who just put up a great season before missing time late in the year. And that this team, it seems like they want to run that offense through him. So people should be really excited about it. It's stunning to me that they aren't because if he gets just even up a little bit, he doesn't have to put up 50 catches, but if he gets up into that 25, 30 receptions, that likely guarantees him a spot in the top 10 in my mind. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I think there's just a, on a pure uh, player Val level, there's there's not much distinction between him and Miles Sanders, who, you know, we just said is going much higher. You know, uh, people want to say, oh, OK, yeah, we know Doug Peterson has always used a committee backfield, but he's never had a back like Miles Sanders. Actually, he 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 did. He had Miles Sanders smashing last year. And he still continued to give Boston Scott a number of touches when he was the only other healthy back uh, on the roster. Okay, but but the team has come out and said they want him as a bell cat. Like I, I get it. I, I'm I'm believing them, and I'm I'm drafting him at that you know late first range. But at this, we're getting the same thing for Jacobs. Like you said, the Greg Olson stat. Mike Mayock said the only reason he was limited in the passing game was because of that bad shoulder. They didn't want to put too much on his plate. Last year, but it's all systems go. This year, uh, John Gruden has come out and said, you know, he took it personally that Jacobs didn't win Offensive Rookie of the Year last year. This year, expect him to get way more, way more carries, way more targets. Uh, so, so it's basically the same thing. And and look, and Jacobs was arguably the most efficient, you know, or one of the top three most efficient running backs in the league last year as a rookie. So uh, definitely, definitely sky high upside there. A, a player to be on the lookout for. All right, I'll keep us moving here. There's so many backs that I want to bring up, but instead of going through it with rankings or with the ADPs, let's hit it by category here. We'll start with breakout guys. I will admit that for my breakouts column in our draft kit, I normally don't include rookies since at that point we spent so much time during the offseason already discussing them. But this year, you might have to because there aren't a ton of great breakout options in my opinion, but I'll toss mm-hmm. it to you first. Which running backs, and you can include rookies here if you want, which running backs do you think, uh, or which running back, if you want to just go with one, do you think is most likely to break out in 2020? It would be a rookie. It would be Cam Akers, who uh, per PFF last year ranked top five in missed tackles forced per game, one of our best, most predictive stats over at PFF. Uh, Really believed in him and his talent. And then he landed in the ideal situation, or at least, you know, we would have thought so last year. And I think that's what's going on. We're getting the Daryl Henderson discount. Daryl Henderson was a player I was high on. I was all over. And he just really disappointed. He barely saw the field last year. Uh, Todd Gurley was, you know, barely left the field, but also didn't do a lot. And it it looked like, you know, he was basically a shell of his former self. But if you want to look at 2017-2018 Todd Gurley, if Cam Akers gets that role, that workload. And remember, you know, there was the the Todd Gurley MVP debate, which like made no sense to me because if you just looked at the holes he was getting, like any running back could just smash in that role. And and we saw that with CJ Anderson, who just absolutely smashed in that role. Um, 
So I think people are thinking that there's going to be a running back by committee situation this year. It's a competition between him and Henderson and Brown. Uh, I think there is a chance that they just drafted him to be their bell cow. Uh, And I don't think that's really appropriately baked into ADP. And if he's just 80% of who Todd Gurley was in 2017 or 80% of who Todd Gurley was in 2018, he'd still be a top eight fantasy running back, top seven fantasy running back, because that's just how ridiculous Todd Gurley was over that stretch. So uh, if you want to know my breakout running back, I would say it's probably Cam Akers. Sure. I mean, for me in the article, like I said, I was kind of struggling to find players that I felt really qualified as guys that I was excited about for breakouts because Miles Sanders is somebody that normally would, but what he did in the second half of last season, I just don't feel like he qualifies at this point when he already put up running back one stats over the course of the second half of the year. I talked about Singletary and Raheem Mostert as guys that you can get outside of the top four rounds normally, and they could be top 20, top 15 backs, maybe. I've talked about them a bunch before, though. They both have knocks on them. Singletary was on pace for top 20 numbers last year if he didn't miss those games early in the season, though. And I think, in my opinion, people are overrating Zach Moss. Yes, he could come in and play that Frank Gore role, but I don't really feel like he's the player who's going to come in and take over that backfield or even turn it into a 50-50 committee. I think that coaching staff really likes Singletary there. And then Mostert, all the upside in the world if he can hold on to that job in, in San Francisco. The more I look at it, though, and the reason I sort of teed it up the way that I did is because I feel like I should have included rookies this year because I think Jonathan Taylor is that guy. When you're matching up the the best pure runner, arguably the best offensive line in the league, I know it's such a simplistic way of looking at it. And there's going to be some hiccups like maybe a limited pass game role for him, maybe Marlon Mack being involved early in the season. But I will be shocked if we don't see Taylor force the Colts coaches to give him the majority of the carries a few weeks or a month into the year. And it might not even take that long. It might be from week one on. And the arguments that people are having right now on Twitter of Edwards Hilaire or Taylor, I don't think it has to be that contentious. They both landed in ideal spots. They're both going to be awesome for fantasy this year and for many years to come there. So I like all those guys that I mentioned there. If you want to dive more into the stats, if you found them now, go for it. Yeah, so Jonathan Taylor just makes me nervous because, I mean, like, he should have the stranglehold over that early over all the early down work for that team. I, he's, I just think he's so much better than Marlon Mack. Um, but I'm worried there might be some sort of committee situation there, at least to start the season. Um, and then Naheem Hines eating all the, the passing down work just like really limits his upside to me. So like a three-way uh, committee situation means I'm, I'm really never drafting him. But if you want to talk about talent, I mean, it's absolutely there. So uh, he set the NCAA uh, Power 5 record for yards from scrimmage in a single season. And he was like 300 yards over the next closest running back. And in the top 10 was Saquon Barkley, Herschel Walker, Ricky Williams, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Ray Rice, are really just like a who's who list of running backs. So coming out, he was he was like as much of a slam dunk running back prospect as I've ever seen, just like really believe in the player, really believe in the talent. And the situation looks phenomenal. Uh, this is a top three, top five uh, offensive line by uh, PFF run blocking grade by yards before contact per attempt. 
in each of the past three seasons. And now you add in a far more competent quarterback to the mix. Should be plenty of positive game script. This is a team that that wants to run a lot. So not a player on drafting, but I, I definitely could see a situation where he breaks loose. And especially if, you know, he just blows the doors off of everyone, which I think he could and, and, and supplants Marlon Mack and, and basically relegates him to the bench. And then as much as we all love talking about breakouts, it's equally important to identify the busts, even though it, it kind of sucks talking about the negative. Which running backs do you think are set up or which running backs specifically do you think set up to be the biggest disappointment for fantasy owners this year? Yeah, so it's, it's definitely some of the guys I've, I've mentioned already. Derek Henry, uh, if if Ryan Tannehill is not like the number two second best quarterback in the league, like he was playing randomly towards in the second half of last year, uh, he's he is due for a massive regression. He's, he's due for uh, a massive regression in terms of efficiency. I mean, like I said, he's amazing and he could, you know, make me look like an idiot, but it's it just, I will make this bet 99 times at a hundred. Uh, and it's a similar thing for the Nick Chubbs of the world, the Aaron Jones of the world. I mean, and then there's Todd Gurley and David Johnson, who I just think are, are absolutely cooked and I, I want no business uh, in drafting. Yeah, and so much just depends on ADPs, right? Because for me, like Mark Ingram was a guy that initially I was shying away from, but then you look at his ADP, if he falls into, I've seen him fall in like the sixth round at times. At that point, I'm willing to take a shot on him, right? I know J.K. Dobbins is there and he's just waiting in the wings to take over, but at that point in the draft, you know, after Ingram did what he did last season, regression's coming for him for sure. You know, we're not going to see the the passing touchdowns for him that we probably saw last year. But at that point in the draft, he's a guy that really was the sort of the identity of that offense last year. He brought in an identity. He was the one that, you know, was talking in the press conferences and and hyping up Lamar Jackson. I don't think they're going to kick him to the side. I'm a little little bit scared as well about that calf injury. Um, But he's a guy that if he falls into a certain range, I'm willing to take him. But yeah, Derrick Henry was going to be my answer for that one for sure. Yeah, I should just add, if you don't mind, like t- those are the the early round, you know, committee backs I'm avoiding. But in the later rounds, I'm I'm absolutely avoiding the the Tariq Cohens of the world, the Naheem Hines of the world. And it's the same thing. It's just they have limited upside. Like what happens if David Montgomery goes down with an injury? I don't see Tariq Cohen assuming a bell cow workload. I think he's just stuck in that scat back role where he sees a hundred targets and a hundred carries at max, uh, and what's his upside? It's like, okay, he'll average, you know, 13.8 fantasy points per game in victories and, and 10.4 fantasy points per game in losses. Guess what? If you predict correctly game script, you're going to get a low end RB2 most of the time. And if you're wrong on game script, you're going to get a, a mid to low end RB3, which like absolutely hurts you. So, so either way, he's just a guy. Uh, I, I think like even best case outcome is still not a team who's helping uh, still not a player who's going to help your team win championships, which at the end of at the end of the day is what what really matters. And it's no fun playing it safe, right? You want to dominate your <laughs> league, you want to crush everybody else in the league, right? So why not mm-hmm. go for it? Take the big swing. Uh, we've covered breakouts, we've covered busts. Next up, sleepers. It's hard to find true sleepers these days because there's so much quality analysis out there, but it just depends how you're defining it. I see it as a player whose ADP is just lower than it should be, somebody that the public perception has been held down for whatever reason. So with that in mind, 
who do you think fantasy owners are sleeping on at running back? Yeah, so really just tend to go bell cow or bust. And it's, it's just like ADP doesn't naturally reflect this. So there's an edge to be had here. But sometimes like a committee running back is just way, way too cheap, which is Jordan Howard, who's like ADP 39, uh, RB 39 by ADP, which just makes absolutely no sense. He's should be the lead back. And, you know, Miami should have better game script this season. Uh, Damian Harris is another guy. Like, I, I just don't think Sony Michelle is good. And I don't think he's healthy. Uh, way too cheap at ADP. Uh, but if you want to know my underpriced bell cows, I think that's uh, James Conner. And I think that's Melvin Gordon. I like Melvin Gordon a little bit more. James Conner, he just needs to stay healthy. And, and maybe he can't. But uh, before his shoulder injury in week nine, he ranked 10th in fantasy points per game in 2018. Before his injury, he ranked 7th in fantasy points per game. Um, I, I, we th- I think we know by now Mike Tomlin prefers a bell cow running back uh, if that running back can stay healthy. And that's that's a role that's smashed for a number of years. Um, and then Melvin Gordon, it's a similar thing to Pat Shermer. So, you know, in 11 career seasons, his RB1 has averaged 17.9 carries, 4.4 targets, 101 yards from scrimmage per game. Again, he's, you know, a, a guy who at least historically has preferred a bell cow. They just paid Melvin Gordon bell cow money. Philip Lindsay, I know, is a talented running back, maybe talented enough to command eight to 10 touches per game, but he's already priced. That's already baked into his ADP. So I, I don't think that, you know, real bell cow potential in a Pat Shermer offense that just got a lot better via the draft uh, is, is really being reflected into his ADP. So those are two guys I like in, you know, maybe the third round range or, or wherever they're going these days. For me, it's Jordan Howard, because this is a guy who was a top 20 fantasy back in PPR leagues in each of his first three seasons, was on pace to do it again last year before he got hurt. Then he signs with a team that's in desperate need of a lead back, and yet he's going off the board outside the top 100 picks. And the receiving work, it's probably not going to be there. Even if Matt Breda gets hurt, I imagine they're going to bring in Patrick Laird or, or somebody to handle some of that receiving work. But Howard's gotten it done in PPR without the receiving work in the past. And he's going off the board as the RB38 in the ninth round right now. It's another guy where you really factor ADP in here. I'm willing to take my chances on him. I think people need to wake up on this one because he should at least be going off the board between RB25, RB30 in that range. But everybody just seems to be discounting him. Yeah, so you're just absolutely right. So so before his shoulder injury in week nine, he actually ranked fourth in rushing fantasy points or the seven weeks before his, his week nine injury, he ranked fourth in rushing fantasy points despite ranking 12th in rushing attempts. So like he was actually good last year before his injury. And then Miami made him the 11th highest paid running back in 2020. Like that seems crazy to me, but but what that really signifies for fantasy is this is a guy who's going to get the ball. I do a sleepers article every year, but I actually think that I enjoy writing my super deep sleepers one even more. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of those guys, they often don't end up, you know, doing anything during a season. You're just sort of trying to to mine for gold way down late in drafts or even through the undrafted guys, guys who are way off the fantasy radar. Is there somebody that maybe you're willing to take in the later rounds, maybe who's going undrafted and you're going to keep an eye on for, you know, the waiver wire early in the season? that if the stars align, has the talent to be a difference maker this season? Is there anybody that is a really deep sleeper at running back that you're interested in stashing? Yeah, so 
This is a great question. I have a number of answers if you ask me any other position, but running back is, is just so tough. And I, I think this goes back to why, you know, it's so important to draft a running back early. Um, but if I'm drafting a running back late, and again, this really isn't super deep late, uh, but it is going to be a Latavius Murray, Giovanni Bernard, um, Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, even deeper Devonta Freeman, who's, who's yet to be signed to a team. Uh, and it's just, you know, what happens if, if uh, Joe Mixon goes down with an injury, I could definitely see Giovanni Bernard getting a, a bell cow workload. So it, it would be one of those, uh, one of those handcuff backs where really like good luck predicting which one's going to go off. You're, you're just relying on injury luck or injury randomness, but, but it would be one of those guys, I guess. And that's the thing that, like I said earlier, maybe this year there will be even more of that injury randomness that we'll see one of these guys step up. It's funny you say Gio though. I've ended up with him in a couple of places because those other guys that you mentioned, the you know the more notable handcuffs, I would say, tend to go a little bit earlier. Geo falls really late for some reason, and I wonder whether it's because it seems like he's kind of declining a little bit. Like I know that you know yards per carry is not a very good metric, and I think you and Adam talked about that on on the podcast as well. But we've seen Geo's yards per carry drop dramatically the last couple of years. Uh, 4.4 in 2017, 3.8 in 2018, 3.2 uh, last year. The offensive line takes some of the blame for that, but Geo might be declining. And that's why I went the same direction you went, but I actually went even deeper because you also have Rodney Anderson there, a guy who I don't mm. know if he's ever going to become the player that he was in college because I think injuries have taken their toll. So Travion Williams is the guy that I was looking at. Because Matt Berry had a, a little nugget that came out around the combine. He was talking to one of the Bengals offensive line coaches, and they specifically mentioned Travion Williams, apparently, and talked about how they're very high on him. So if Mixon goes down, if Geo isn't the same player, I mean, at that point in the offseason, earlier in the offseason, I thought there was a chance that Geo might get cut. I think with the strange COVID offseason, they're probably going to keep him around, a guy who knows the offense really well. So he'll probably still be there, but... This is why we're going super, super deep here, right? If there's a couple injuries that strike here, or if Geo gets in there and he's not the same player, I'm keeping an eye on Travion Williams. I think he's a guy who could step up, and it's an incredibly deep shot, but like I said, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, and I, I should say this year is especially a good year for drafting handcuff running backs. Just because of, of COVID, we know there's this hyper-infectious disease rolling around or virus, and... Uh, we know if you catch it, you're basically out a minimum of 14 uh, days, which is basically two games in the NFL. So imagine if you drafted the correct Joe Mixon handcuff. Maybe it's not Gio Bernard. I, I didn't feel you know strongly in Gio Bernard, but I just know that he was the only running back besides Mixon to have a single touch last year. Uh, but if you have if Joe Mixon catches coronavirus in week 16 and week 15, and you have the correct handcuff congratulations you just got a free basically low-end rb1 maybe high-end rb2 so that can really go a, a, a long way so just something to keep in mind this year yeah we're both and that does the... make that does make d value maybe not zero rb which i i still think is suboptimal but like a r one rb strategy more viable where your, your one weak spot is rb2 and then you know you're you're you're, you're landing the right handcuff via waivers or you have them stashed on your bench. 
All right, let's wrap it all up here. This one should be easy because you've mentioned it more than more than a few times here. You wrote those couple articles recently on potential league winners, the anatomy of a league winner, identifying league winners. I took another approach. I have an article, seven players will lead you to a title. So we came at it from different angles. But with all your research, who's the one running back, not named Christian McCaffrey, who's going to lead you to a title this season? Yeah, I mean, ADP has it pretty correct. It's it's Saquon Barkley or it's Alvin Kamara. But uh, shout out to my boy, CEH. Like I have a number of teams where I landed Dalvin Cook plus CEH um, just because I drafted early. My buddy Mark has a team. Oh, in the MFL 10 of death, I have CMC, CEH, and Josh Jacobs. Uh, my buddy Mark is in the main event. He landed CMC, CEH, and Austin Eckler. So like those teams just have such a massive, massive advantage over everyone else because like I'm – like, if you wanted to take Clyde Edwards-Hilaire top four, top three even, like, like I, I wouldn't really blink at it. Uh, and, and this is a guy who, you know, many people have drafts where they took him in round three. So that's just a, a massive edge on the rest of the field. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned one of my guys, Alvin Kamara, there. And I know you got to pay up for him. He's going as a top five back. But so was McCaffrey last year, and he was still a league winner. It doesn't have to be these guys that are crazy values necessarily, right? Kamara, to me, he's just such a sure thing. He was the RB3, the RB4 in fantasy his first two seasons. And then last year, he averaged the eighth most fantasy points per game. But I think he finished RB9, despite the fact that he missed two contests, played in the second half of the year, banged up. It's a guy that had 18 touchdowns two years ago. Regression came for him. And that's why Aaron Jones owners need to pay attention to that. But he had that stretch last year. He had nine games where he didn't find the end zone. That's not going to happen again. The regression that burned him last year, it's going to work in his favor this time. Because through the first six games last season, before he suffered the, the high ankle sprain, he was on pace for 317 touches. And now nine backs were given at least 300 touches last year, and only two of them generated less than eight touchdowns, and both of them played on losing teams. The Saints are not going to be a losing team. And we had your guy, uh, Dr. Edwin Porras from Fantasy Points on the show a couple months back, and he pointed out that in the first six weeks before the injury, Kamara was the second best in tackles forced per touch. And then after the injury, it felt a 39th best. So the injury had a big impact on him for sure. So I love him in the middle of the first round. And even though he's going as a top five RB already, I think he has the ceiling to be potentially the RB one overall at the end of the year and, and to carry it a fantasy title. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. I mean, there's, there's no real injury discount with him, but like, his, his first two seasons ranked top 10 all time in fantasy points per touch. And he's the only running back with two seasons in the top 30. And like every other running back in the top 10 is in the Hall of Fame or is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Just like a world-class talent uh, and quietly saw the best volume last year. You just didn't really realize it because he was hurt and that, that sapped him in terms of hyper-efficiency. But you said one line I just want to expand upon. You're like, the league, a league winner doesn't have to be a guy with a low ADP. That's a great point. And at the running back position, it typically isn't. It typically is these round one and round two running backs who are league winners. Whereas with quarterback, it's typically like the round 10, round 11, round 12 guys. One, because we're so bad at, at drafting quarterbacks, we're actually pretty good at probably the best at drafting running backs. And two, it's just because Running back is, again, it's the most scarce position. It's the highest scorers. It's the higher, highest relative scorers 
in position. So it's just the most valuable position. So those getting a, a top three fantasy running back is just worth so much more. Like even if you have to pay the 101 to get a top three fantasy running back, that's still so much more valuable than getting like a wide receiver one with a, a sixth round ADP. Like that's just how valuable, how important running backs are. So I did just want to expand on that, that one point a little bit. It's good stuff. And that is all for today's show. Scott, like I said off the top, this was a long time coming. Absolutely well worth the wait, though. Really appreciate you doing it, man. Thank you. Anything that you want to plug before we sign off? Uh, nope. Fantasypoints.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott Barrett DFB. All right. You can find me on there, too, at Justin Boone. The Score Fantasy Football Draft Kit is completely updated over at the Score app right now with my rankings, projections, tiers, auction values, depth charts, breakouts, plus everything you need. I'll be back on Friday with JJ and the quarterback preview. But until then, big thanks again to Scott. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. And we will see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby. Said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight. Said leave on time.